Do you have, um, do you have something that you wish you were better at? This is the part where we, we interact, we, we share our thoughts. Um, do you have something that you wish you were better at? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Most of us do. Um, I find that the only people who don't have anything that they'd like to be, be better at uh, usually are in such a place of, of lack of health or, or such a difficult circumstance that they're not thinking at getting uh, better in a skill set. They're thinking at just getting better, right? That we just, we just want to be better. I want to be out of this, this situation. But uh, I asked a bunch of friends this week uh, about uh, what they wish they were better at. And here were some of their answers. Learn Spanish. How many of you speak Spanish really, really well? The Padillas aren't here. It doesn't count. <laughs> they, they would be raising their hands. They're hosting online today uh, on both Facebook and our live stream on our website. Uh, but that would be kind of neat, wouldn't it? Uh, neat? I can't even speak English, let alone a second language, apparently. Um, how about uh, this one? Someone said they would like to be more assertive or inquiring. How about that one? Would you like to be more assertive? Monday morning, walk into the boss's office and say, in a good way, but a clear, confident way, I think it's time we talked about a raise. Does that sound good? Say amen. Yeah. For most of you, that's good. For those of you that are retired, you'd have to walk into a different kind of office to get that raise, but that would be fun. Or to be, be willing to ask more questions and inquiring, almost a, a, more of a caring uh, uh, position with others in their relationships. I like this one. Someone texted back of what they would wish to be better at. Their answer was dancing. That's not mine. I mean, you can tell I, I know what to do. I got it, right? Hands at 10 and 2, slight shuffle. I don't even need music, right? It's all in my head. There's a lot of things that are in my head, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, someone said dancing. How about not procrastinating? Someone said, I would like to be better at not procrastinating. Does that sound good? Does that resonate with anybody? Raise your hands or will you just do it later? (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Here's one. I like this one. Let's see how many people uh, will agree with this one, especially online. Give a thumbs up if you agree with this one. Here's something. Do you wish you were better at knitting advanced patterns? Knitting advanced patterns. Raise your hand if that's something that you would like to be better at. Okay, let me ask more specifically. Men, if you would like to be better at knitting advanced patterns, raise your hands. Yeah, a few of you would like to do that. That's awesome. See, we're, we're not stereotyping anybody here. That's awesome. I love that response. Uh, how about this one? I would like to be better at self-motivation. I would like to be better at self-motivation tomorrow. (laughs) I would like to be better at playing guitar. That was someone else's answer. How how many people would like to do that? Yeah, a few people. Awesome. Me? Mine is uh, I wish I was a better handyman. Because the fact that I am not a good handyman means I'm either paying with money or time. And I usually like to pay with money up front so that an expert comes and does it right and I save a lot of time rather than me taking a lot of time to do it wrong and then it costs me a lot of money to fix what went wrong over that period of time. I would like to be better at um, being a handyman. 
Do you know what the top 10 things are that people wish they were better at? Do you have any guesses on what they might be? Do you happen to know in chat what they might be? Public speaking is one of them, absolutely. Public speaking was ranked, I think, number seven. Public speaking, that's a good answer. Here's what they were, ranking down in order. If you like, um, if you remember David Letterman from way back in the day, which kind of dates us, if you remember David Letterman from way back in the day, then you know that he liked to do top 10 lists every now and again. And if, uh, if we uh, could, we'd have a band that would play some kind of cool intro about the top 10 things we're going to talk about. So if you could be the band for me here or online, just need a little drum roll. Nice. There was no cymbal crash, but I appreciate that. Here are the top 10 things that people wish they were better at. Number 10, drawing. Drawing. People want to be better at drawing. Sports. I, I agree with that. I'd like to be better at sports. Grammar. People would like to be better at grammar. Public speaking was the next one. Uh, on the list, and I, I quote you, I, I kid you not, the person uh, who was collecting all of this data said, uh, out of the top 10 things that people wish they were better at is maths. Maths. Not, not math, but plural, maths. I think that person also needs to be better at grammar, <laughs> and I think that person needs to be better at public speaking. It's probably just a typo, but they, I think they, they got it wrong. Um, someone said dancing. That was one of the top 10 things that people wish they were better at. Spelling. Being creative. Making friends. Which is interesting, because if you look at the data for uh, one of the biggest stressors about moving, it's how am I going to find new friends in my new city or in my new places? And it is difficult for adults, particularly male adults, to make friends in this country. We're more connected than ever before, and we're more disconnected than ever before. It's really fascinating, uh, just some of that data. And the number one thing that people wish they could do better, sing. People wish they could sing. And that's true. Uh, the neat thing is that the Bible doesn't tell us to make a joyful song to the Lord. Thank goodness for that. Um, it says make a joyful noise to the Lord. But, but we would like that noise to be somewhat okay and somewhat good. And we sounded, I thought we just uh, sounded amazing with our voices this morning. We can sing. But some of us, we want to have that. And if you're, if you're one of those people that's like, I, I couldn't hold a note if you put it in a backpack and put the backpack on my shoulder. Um, that's the number one thing people wish they could do better. What about you? What's something that you wish you could do better? Just have that in the back of your mind. I'm not going to ask you what that is. But that feeling of, I wish I was better at blank, is the reason why we're doing this series, This Is Us. Because the things that we want to get better at are necessary for our enjoyment of life. These are things, this series is talking about things that we wish as a church that we are better at as they relate to the Christian life, as they relate to our mission of connecting people to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in a caring community. But that's because we know that our core values aren't just statements. They don't just define us. They develop us. They don't just say what we're about. They shape what we're about. And... 
We've gone through a lot. We started this series all the way back on September the 12th. So that's like 12, 19, 26, uh, 7, 12, 14, no, uh, 3, 10, 17, 24, 7. We have two more to go. And today, you came to a good Sunday. Because rather than tease it with some really, really long introduction, and no, this wasn't a long introduction if you're just thinking that, wait, that wasn't long. No, don't type that. We're just going to give you the core value of what we're talking about today up front. It's this. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Okay, let's try and do it together. (laughs) We were close. We got the words out, but we got them out at different tempos and different variations. This is a good chance to practice your verbal dancing, dancing with your mouth. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Really? Let's be honest. Is that true? Why? If it's true, then why? Because we can't accomplish good things. You can do great things for other people, but we cannot do God's things. There's a difference between us doing good and God doing good. And let me show you. Jesus actually says this in Luke 24. The end of the gospel that Luke has written. He comes back to them. He eats a bunch of fish in front of them. So that they know he's truly alive. He's truly risen. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? God opened their minds to understand the Bible, the Bible that they had. And he told them, this is what was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So the very first thing that Jesus does for them is open their minds to understand the scriptures, but that's not enough. Something else has to happen. And it's interesting that Jesus says, your first assignment is do nothing. That's a pretty good first assignment, right? The church hasn't been born yet, and Luke's gospel kind of wraps up, and he begins part two, which is the story of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. And some have said it might be better to be renamed as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But I don't agree with that. I think that Acts of the Apostles is the correct name and we'll learn why this morning. The Gospel of Luke is like part one. And the Gospel of, or the gospel of Acts, the story of Acts, the book of Acts is part two. It's like the Hobbit followed up by the Lord of the Rings. Right? And that's really fascinating to me how those two stories together. Because if you read all of Acts chapter 1, 
Jesus gives them a more clear instructions that I want you to be my witnesses, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll go through all the world, your local city, your region, your country, and the world, and then, but you have to wait for the Holy Spirit. You have to wait for that to happen. But they didn't wait, did they? As a matter of fact, there's this story that doesn't really get told about how they got together and they had a business meeting. And they said, we have to elect someone to replace Judas. We got we to gotta get a new guy in here. And so they draw lots and they elect someone. And uh, nothing really happens. But then the Holy Spirit shows up. And that's the story that we remember. That's the celebration of Pentecost, right? Where they're in worshiping, they're all celebrating, uh, they're praying, and, and something like tongues of fire descend and rest on them, and they start to speak clearly in other languages all at the same time. And they go to the temple, they're celebrating, and people are wondering, wait, how is this happening? This Jewish person is, I'm hearing them in my native language. Uh, and someone says, they're drunk. <laughs> uh, clearly, they're just mumbling over their words. And Peter, remember the guy who Jesus kept saying, stop it, Peter, stop it, Peter, stop it, Peter, stop it, Peter. He gets up and he gives this sermon that should have got him killed. Because in the temple, he said to that Middle Eastern crowd, the person Jesus that you crucified has been made God uh, has been made by God to be Lord and Savior. And they are broken. And they say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized and the church is born. And it's an amazing transformation. They start to meet daily in each other's homes, studying the scriptures, praying for one another, giving to each other as he had or she had need so that no one went without. Everyone shared their possessions. There was just this common unity that was the birth of the church. And that was the difference. Without the Holy Spirit, they had business meetings with the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people repented to be right with God. We can do good things. We can write books, create music, create art, create technology. We can do good things at work. We can say nice things. But we cannot do God's things. So what does that mean? What does it mean to do God's things? What does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Does that mean that we need to see tongues of fire above our heads? No. Does that mean we need to see charismatic gifts? Does that mean that we need to talk about anointings and special blessings and miracles? That there needs to be the supernatural? Yeah, I think all of those things are true. But it's not where it starts. And today I want to talk about where does the empowerment of the Holy Spirit begin. And to do that, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Because I think, I think we make things about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit far more difficult than God intended to be. It's actually far, far more simple. Let's take a look. Paul is writing to this church that if I was the pastor of this church, I would have closed this church. This church is awful. 
Paul has written four total letters. This is the second one that we have historically. He's trying to help them remotely. But there, if you keep reading through this letter, it is full of sin. It is, it is full of toleration of sin. They, they can't get together and worship properly because there's all sorts of divisions. There's all sorts of uh, immorality. Uh, there's drunkenness. They can't agree on, on how, to, how to be a witness. They're a laughingstock in Corinth. And Corinth was already a laughing stock because of the way the city lived according to the rest of the world. And he says this, when they were fighting over who they should listen to that they had, I, I listened to this guy's podcast, I listened to this guy's podcast, Paul says, look, it's, that's not the point. It, this was with, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And what was that demonstration? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In order to understand how we are empowered by the Holy Spirit as believers, we need to understand what the Holy Spirit does. We need to know what he does before we know what that empowerment is. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He enables people to see Jesus. He enables people to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them. This is what this means. The Holy Spirit points people to Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit empowers you, there is a shift that what you do in life, what you do in ministry, what you do in your family is not about you. What you do in life is not about your life. What you do in ministry is not about your ministry. What you do with your family is not about your family. There is a shift that happens where it becomes about Jesus. What you do points you and others to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's role in the world is to point you to Jesus. Why? Because of the absolute genius of God's plan that was demonstrated in Christ Jesus. The demonstration that the Spirit came in power to the Corinthians was that they believed in the first place. And here's Exhibit A. Exhibit A is found in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 and following. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what, church? What is it? A little louder. Uh, one, two, three. The power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Exhibit A is that in Jesus, God uses failure to accomplish the greatest success. Because this is a dumb plan. (laughs) Jesus is the hero of the story, right? You don't kill the hero of the story. The hero of the story doesn't die. The hero of the story has to win. And that means in a battle, he should be victorious. He should be like David standing up against Goliath. Who do you think would win if I were to tell you that there were two armies, Army A and Army B? Army B lost all of its forces. Every one of their, uh, every person in the army died. Who would you say won? Army A, right? Because you win battles in order to be victorious. But Jesus died. Christ was crucified. Christ was humiliated. And if Christ is God, that means either your God is weak because we killed him. Or it's not true. What's foolish is genius. Because it was Jesus' death that actually gave us a way to have a relationship with God. Jesus' death was at the moment when he took our sin on his shoulders. He took all of the sin of the world, past, present, future. As he hung on a cross... He was punished for something we didn't deserve, or that we deserved, that he didn't deserve. And what seems foolish to us was brilliant. Because in the moment of Jesus' defeat, he defeated sin and death and hell. And it doesn't make sense. That God would lose, and that's how he won the victory. To put your faith in Jesus means you believe in a God who died, which is foolishness to Greek, or a Messiah who can't liberate, who can't win, which is a stumbling block to Jews. And God isn't very powerful if he lets his creation kill his son, and what good is a God who doesn't win? He dies. 
And yet it's in that moment for those of us that are saved who understand what Jesus accomplished, who understand what he was able to do for us, that we know that that gives us life. And the reason we accepted Jesus was not because that made sense, but because only God could win when it seemed like he lost. That God is worth giving our lives to. You came to a place where you knew that you needed Jesus. And it doesn't make a lot of wise, uh, it doesn't seem to have a lot of wisdom behind it. And Paul is making this connection to help you understand that. That's the Holy Spirit helping you see that. Helping you see your need. Helping you understand that you can have your sins forgiven. You can be made right with God. Like we sang, that no matter how far away you are from God, it takes just one step back to return back to God. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. That's just exhibit A. That in Jesus, God used failure to win. But there's exhibit B. That Paul presents in the verses continuing in verse 26 and on. He says, in Jesus, God opened up the door for anyone to win. And this is incredible. That's how wise, amazing this plan is. Brothers and sisters, he writes, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let's read this together. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In Jesus, God opened up the door for anyone to win. The town of Corinth, as I said earlier, had a pretty difficult reputation and rightly so. They lived a pretty loose set of lives. Uh, they had a hookup culture before hookup culture existed today. Um, and it was full of brawlers and fighters and uh, thugs, thieves. Uh, if you said you were from Corinth, um, people would hold their children tighter. <laughs> grab their purses, bring them a little closer, check their wallets. They did not. They did not get a lot of respect in the world. And in some way, we can, we can see that. We're not world influencers, right? We're not able to shape nations. We're not dictating uh, how things can be done even sometimes in our home we we tell our kids this is what we want them to do and then our kids go no <laughs> seems like we just don't have this kind of influence we're not some i guess god didn't really choose us because we have something that we're bringing to the table 
God didn't look at us and say, you know what? I need to pick these folks from Trinity because they're the best of the best of the best of the best. We just don't have that. We didn't have anything to offer a God. As a matter to offer to God. As a matter of fact, if God is drafting a team of all stars, I think He's doing a terrible job of picking qualified people. We fail all the time. Whether it's a Christian who is uh, has a a large stage and a lot of influence and a lot of we fail all the time. It doesn't take much to pick up a a story or a paper about how another minister has failed or another songwriter has failed or someone has done something or is walking away from. And it bothers us because we think that those who are elevated up high should know, but they don't because of this truth. But he's not drafting us for what we can do for him. He's inviting us. Because we can glorify Jesus. And do you know who can glorify Jesus? Do you need a certain kind of story to glorify Jesus? Do you need a, do you need a story where uh, you were one of the worst of the worst in human society and Jesus came and rescued you? No, but you have a story where Jesus rescued you, right? You have a story where Jesus saved you. You have a story of how Jesus changed you. And that's what God is inviting us to do. He's inviting us to tell the story about how Jesus is our righteousness. How he is our holiness and how he is our redemption. That's why Paul talked about Jesus. It wasn't about Paul being accepted at all. He didn't want them to, you know, follow the gospel of Paul. He wanted them to follow Jesus. He wanted Jesus to accept them. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit isn't interested in you recognizing that, hey, look at me, I'm the Holy Spirit. His role, his job, his function, his purpose is to allow Jesus to be seen. So that Jesus can be glorified. And that's what Paul wanted to do. And I think that's true for us. As we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So how does that all work? Well I think the Holy Spirit is kind of like a, a floodlight. Or a work light. I wasn't able to find a, a good floodlight that wouldn't blind everyone. Uh, but I realized that we actually have some really good uh, lights here. Now what happens when the lights are off? I kind of disappear, right? I become harder to see. You've got competing light from the side. But when the lights are on, you can see. Now, if you were up here on the stage and you were to do this and stare at the light, what else do you see? Yeah, <laughs> spots. You, you're all gone. <laughs> I, I, I see colors. I don't see faces anymore because now all I can see are spots. And yet, if you focus on what the light is illuminating and showing you, it allows you to do the work that you need to do and see what you need to see to do it. J.D. Greer wrote a great book on how the Holy Spirit functions, and he wrote this. There is a certain irony 
in how the Spirit operates. Whenever He is really present, you are not thinking about Him. You're thinking about Jesus. The Spirit's work is to direct you to notice something else. If you've ever driven into Washington, D.C. on Interstate 395 late at night, you've seen the magnificent splendor of the Washington Monument, like a shining ivory needle illuminated against the night sky. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights shine directly on the stone pillar, memorializing the father of our country. Yet I doubt you've ever noticed or maybe even thought about those expensive, brilliant lights. That's because they are there to illuminate something else. If they are doing their job, you're not thinking about them. You're thinking about the Washington Monument. The same is true of the Spirit of God. His purpose is to illuminate the gospel and bring glory to Jesus. And J.I. Packer calls the work of the Spirit a floodlight ministry, quietly turning everyone's attention away from himself and to the Savior. He wrote this book because um, Christians, he, he goes on to say, Christians tend to gravitate to extremes when it comes to thinking about the third person of the Trinity. They separate him from what he's telling us about Jesus from Scripture. They pursue the experience in the Spirit apart from the Word. They listen for voices or seek signs from God in the heavens. And they're always talking about what God said to them through a stirring in their spirit or a strange confluence of circumstances. But some people seek to know Jesus in the Scriptures without real interaction or dependence on the Holy Spirit. These Christians know who the Spirit is, and He floats around in their hearts somewhere, but they know that He produces spiritual fruit. But He writes this, <laughs> but they relate to Him in the same way, similar to how I relate to my pituitary gland. I know it's in there somewhere, and it's necessary for bodily health and growth and life, but I have no real interaction with it. I've never spoken to it or heard from my pituitary gland. Its work remains invisible and undetected, even though I know it is real. The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus, shines a light. Stare at the light, it becomes difficult to see. But use the light to see what Jesus is doing to see who Jesus is. And that's opening the door to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. And it ought, that metaphor of the Holy Spirit being a, a floodlight for us to see Jesus actually helps us understand why we need the Holy Spirit. It helps us understand what the problem is. At the core of who we are, we struggle with life and ministry because we want it to be about ourselves. We want it to be about us. And that's part of our sinful nature. Some theologians say that the, the, the base root of sin starts with pride, that I know better than God. I know more than God. I disagree with God. I'm somehow equal with Him so I can disagree with Him. And God knows that. God knows that um, even men like Paul who would later write, I struggle with sin, 
The things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I do. Because he knows that he struggles with making life all about him. And the Holy Spirit wants us to get our desires off of not only himself, but ourselves as well, so that we begin to see Jesus. And here's sort of the translation of that. Take pride in Jesus more than you take pride in yourself. So what does that mean to take pride in Jesus? What does it mean to be proud of Jesus? I think it shows up in two ways in the Christian life. The first is that it shows up in humility. Humility is that when we look at Jesus, we recognize our need for Jesus. That we were sinners. That we brought nothing to the table. That God said, that's something I have to have. Except for the fact that he loved us. He chose us. He can do his work without us. And we should feel honored that God is choosing us. We never deserved salvation. We never deserved this privilege of partnership. And it is amazing that he chose us. And as a church, as a group of people, it is often so easy to think about our challenges, our difficulties, our circumstances, what we need. But it's interesting We were talking this morning that the band wasn't as good as we hoped it would be. And every week I go home thinking, I wish it could have been better. I wish the the room could be different. I wish we could have more people who were being impacted. I wish there were more joining us online and and in person. I wish we didn't have all of the difficulties that we have in this place. But here's the reality that this scripture reminded me of this week. Did you know Jesus is here right now? Because his spirit is here right now. And instead of thinking of and looking around the room going, ah, that could be... We don't want to do that. We don't want to be distractions. But it's humbling to think that in spite of all of our challenges as people, as individuals, and as a corporate body, as a local expression of... Jesus' church, that Jesus is here, and that makes it a privilege to be here. Amen? That makes it a privilege. In your living room, around your kitchen table, because Jesus is there with you through His Spirit. It is a privilege to be here. It is a privilege to serve here and to make much of Jesus here. And that's what was so amazing about yesterday. We had a group of people who served from our church and we had a group of people who served just because they were invited, who were friends of people in this church. They don't go to our church. They may go to another church. They may not go to a church at all. And they came, uh, many of them unpaid, (laughs) and got to partner with what Jesus wanted to do yesterday. Think about that. That's the privilege. I don't, I think that makes us humble and confident. We're confident that God is at work. 
I think we're confident that God doesn't just leave everything up to us. I think we're confident that God is at work through His Spirit. His Spirit is working in us and through us. I think His Spirit is drawing people to Himself. I think He's working in our church. I think He's working in our lives as we tell our story of what God is doing. When we make our lives about Jesus, the Holy Spirit shows up. And He flips on the spotlight. So that people stop seeing us and start seeing him. I think as a church, we don't need to be a fortress where it's us against the world. Where we come and protect ourselves. Because I think Jesus died for that world, I think. Um, I think we can be confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. That he can use our church's story, he can use your story. It may seem like people are against you, but remember that the people are against you are the people Jesus died for. So we don't have to show them. We don't have to um, own them. We can love them. Which Paul actually goes into the, the famous love chapter in this same book that he's writing to the church in Corinth. And he says the first thing that love is, is patient. Never gives up on people. Never gives up on people. And the reason why it never gives up on people is because the Holy Spirit never gives up on people. There is a world a life, a richness that goes far beyond ourselves. It goes far beyond you. And you can't get there by yourself. Matt Chandler said it really, really well. The more we become him, the more we become his, the more we become ourselves. The more we become truly his, the more we become truly ourselves. So this morning, as you think about those things you'd like to get better at, let me just ask you this. Is Christianity to you more a set of beliefs of do's and don'ts and a lifestyle to which you conform? Or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with Jesus through his Holy Spirit and you move in his power. If you'd like the latter to be true in your life, I suggest we start and you start with taking pride in the accomplishments of Christ. Let them fill you with humility and confidence. That is the beginning of Holy Spirit empowerment who helps shine a light so you can see Jesus in all of his glory. And may all the glory be his. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do what you, only you can do. Left to our own devices, we would seek self, we would seek 
what makes us look good. When in reality, Jesus makes us godly. He makes us righteous, holy, gives us salvation, freedom. Holy Spirit, we invite you to shine your light into every fabric of our lives. And would you help us to see Jesus? Would you help us to surrender to Him? Would you help us to take pride in His accomplishments, not our own? We are humbled before Him. We are confident in Him. So would you fill us with your Spirit so that we might know Jesus more? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.